little bit different. Is that better than the other? You probably don't remember what the other one was. Well, when David Hicks says it's not good, it's probably really not good. But I trust him on his opinion on music. So we pray that was just a little better. Hey, aren't you glad you're a child of the king? Now, yeah, that's what we're celebrating now. That's what we're celebrating. You know, that was worth the price of admission today. Just to leave here. Now, now it's only that, that only applies to those who have experienced his wonderful grace. It doesn't apply to the ones who say, I'm trusting in who I am. It doesn't apply to the ones who think they're, they're, they're good and religious, and so therefore they're child of the king. It don't apply to the ones who think they're Baptists and they're child of the king. It doesn't apply to the ones who think they've been dumped and they're child of the king. It, it doesn't apply to the ones who believe in the giant scale and I'm a child of the king. It, it applies to the ones who are blood-bought, immersed in the amazing grace of God, and whose sins are forgiven. That's who it applies to. Amen? So, so y'all just need to stay fired up just knowing, you know, you walk out, you just walk out and say, I want y'all to know something, I'm a child of the king. You just, just, just when you leave today, if, if, y'all, if neighbor's over there and, and he's just kind of scowling at you, that shouldn't happen in church, but sometimes it does. If someone's scowling at you today, just look over and say, I'm a child of the king. I'm just a child of the king. Like, you know, I, I'm a child of the king. And that is excellently good news. And I, let me just take a moment, too. <laughs> That's really great about this, this video. You, know, you can just do what you want to with it. You know, you can just kind of like lollygag. I'm lollygagging. I want to say thank you. I want to say thank you to our amazing worship team once again who blessed us every week, Sunday after Sunday. But particularly... Three guys, Dave, Dave, and Dave. <laughs> we experienced 3D worship at Springfield. Uh, um, again, I was, I, was, I was honored to preach at the annual meeting, and Dave and Dave and Dave drove up uh, Wednesday night and, and Thursday morning three different times led us in worship, and I was just incredibly proud of my worship team at the Dorsville Baptist Church. It's not mine, it's God's, but I'm just telling you, you've got reason to be proud of what we've got at Dorsville. And uh, thank you, Dave, Dave, and Dave, um, for incredible worship week in, week out. And thank you for those three guys driving up for worship time. Well, you probably know we're in the midst of a worship series, a sermon series that we're calling Sweet Temptation, a series of things that tie together and deal with this subject, this topic of temptation. And today, I really, this is, my prayer would be, my bottom line would be that this is so applicable to you that you can go home and really grasp this in your life as a person, well, particularly as a follower of Jesus Christ, that that God um, so loves you. You know, I I know we do the God question thing a whole lot, you know, uh, hard news. I've got a list, we'll, we'll, I got about seven people to pray for at the end of the service, and I made a hospital visit on Friday that was just very difficult. Uh, Tuesday, received some very difficult news about one of our families, and it's hard. And, and, and those lead to God questions like, like, why God? Why did God? Why didn't God? Where is God? God this and God that. And we just get overwhelmed with, with what it seems like that God doesn't make sense and God doesn't do and God failed and why did God put me in this position when really we ought to focus on his incredible, incredible love. I mean, how much he loves us, how much he cares for us. I mean, you understand that even before the fall, before the foundations of the world, God was working on our behalf to make it possible that people like you and me could have royal blood flowing through our veins. He, he, he made it possible by the sacrifice of his son that we could come into relationship with holy God the creator. I mean, that is just mind-boggling. And then he made it possible by that same blood and that same sacrifice for us to have this, this wonderful promise of a future, but also a victorious time in this life. 
And that's really important. You know, one thing that really dawned on me, Dub, on those Dub moments when I was preparing for this series is this consequences thing. You know, we, we understand that we should not sin because it offends the God that we say we love. And that's, that's really cool. You know, we get frustrated with the world because they sin. They're just doing what sinners do. But, but we who have experienced God's grace, who have been forgiven, you know, you know, we should not want to sin because it offends holy God. It's offensive to the one who died for us. It's offensive to the one um, who, who suffered Calvary's cross. It's offensive to the one that we call Father. But there really is a, a big piece of the puzzle that applies to us personally. And that is, I know you, I've said this before, and I, I think you get it. Sin complicates things. I mean, yes, yeah, sin's wrong. And, and again, you know, we got that, but sin complicates things. Our life is just made more difficult. Our marriages are more difficult. Our parenting relationships are more difficult. Our employment relationships are more difficult. Our relationships with our neighbors are more difficult. Life is just more complicated because of sin. And that is called consequences. And God wants us not to experience those consequences. He has given us victory over sin, death, and the grave one, so we can come in relation to him. But two, so while we're treading on this earth, and this is not all there is, but while we are treading on this earth, we can be free from the consequences of sin. When God's book says that thou shalt not, or thou shalt, there's a reason why. It's not God up in heaven just putting a notch in his belt. He said, I've decided this is bad, and this is good, and this is bad, and this is good. It's not like he made this decision just arbitrarily. He knows as we as humans journey through life, there are certain things that will hurt us and cause these, these awful consequences. And that's why when you read the Word of God, don't just see it as a bunch of rules of do's and don'ts, arbitrary. You know, God knows how to do life. He's our creator. And so, so he wants us to live free from these consequences. You just got to believe that. You got to take that home because that will give you a whole new handle on sin and why we should and why, you know, why we should obey God, what we should do, think we do. You know, he wants us to experience the victory that the Lord Jesus Christ won for us. And this ties right in with the child of God thing. It's our birthright. It is our birthright to be overcomers over death, sin, and the grave. We are, because of Christ, overcomers. So what we want to do today is look at the example of Jesus Christ and how masterfully he overcame temptation. Now, David did an incredible job also this morning on time. We got a lot done. So the decision I'm making is not anything to do with time. It's simply this. There's a whole lot of information. And sometimes more is just more. And so what I feel very much led to do before I got to worship this morning, I planned this. I've got my sheet full. I want to show it to you so you won't think I was a slacker. I've got the sheet full, okay? But what I feel like we really need to do is go ahead and look at the first half, the left side of that. Well, in your, side, your case, it's my left. On the front side of the sermon sheet, we're going to address that information today. And then um, Wednesday night. Now, I know, you know y'all, a lot of y'all don't come to church on Wednesday nights. But I want to encourage you, well, first off, it's a good fill-me-up. It really is. But Wednesday night, we're going to cover the second part. And not too long ago, I touched on the second part, and it was on a Sunday night. And again, there wasn't a lot, a lot of people there. And I hate that, that perhaps you won't get this information because it really is powerful tools to help us. So this morning, we're going to look at, we're going to look at our high priest, okay? We're going to look at what 
it means, what is sin, and how it all plays out. And then secondly, the very beginning of his secret weapons for saying no to temptation. So that's today. Then Wednesday night, we're going to take the time and look at Luke chapter 4, uh, verse 2b, or, yeah, 2b and, and the rest of it, verse 13. We're going to look at those individual temptations and how it applies to our lives. So I really hope this will be the week that you'll take, husband, you'll take your wife out to supper and get out to supper in the barbecue barn or someplace like that. And then you'll, you know, you'll, you know, you to plug the local Christian businesses, you know. And so then you'll come on to church at 6 o'clock and we'll experience the rest of Luke chapter 4 together. All right? So that's kind of where we're going this morning. We want to start with the fact that Jesus Christ has set the example in overcoming temptation. I mean, can we, can we really overcome temptation? Can we as believers genuinely experience victory over temptation? And Jesus Christ, by his example, resoundly shows us that we can. Now again, let me say it one more time, and I'll try to leave it alone. The reason that is important, because when Mr. Devil comes, or one of his demons, and he sets up a situation, okay, for you to sin against God, keep in mind, he's not your friend, he's your enemy, okay, and he wants you to experience those awful consequences. He wants to wreck your home, he wants to wreck your career, he wants to wreck your character. And so it's very important, if we can be overcomers and live that out, that's huge, that's huge. So we're going to start out this morning in Hebrews chapter 4, a verse we just read, I think, last week. We didn't really teach on it, but today we want to teach on it. And it starts out looking at Jesus Christ and his example for us. Look what it says in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15 and 16. Now, I'm going to break this up, and I want to just, just let you digest this. Again, my goal would be not to leave too much meat on the bones when we're done with the Word of God this morning. That would be my goal today. So it starts out, the author of Hebrews, and we do not know who that is, says, For we do not have a high priest. Now let's just pause there. What, what if that was the verse? What if that was Hebrews 4.15? We do not have a high priest. And I only bring that in today so you'll appreciate Jesus. That's a really good place for an amen. I, I, st- I do that because how would your... Think of your life, your situation. Those of you who know Jesus Christ as Savior... Think of your life now with Jesus in it. Think of the fact that if you get a phone call from the doctor, that, that you have a father, notice a father, not a God, you have a father who you can call on in prayer. You have a friend who stays closer to you than a brother. You, you have the promise in another scripture in Hebrews where the word of God says, and he said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Imagine if it was the verse there where it says, we do not have a high priest, that you couldn't call God Father. That your destiny, before Christ, your destiny was eternally separated from God in a place of punishment called hell. If that was, if that was the verse, we do not have a high priest, that would be all of us. But it's not stopping there. We do have a high priest. We have a high priest named Jesus Christ. And he didn't have to make multiple sacrifices to atone, he made one sacrifice. When, when John said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, he was not only talking about the fact that Jesus was the high priest, but Jesus was the sacrifice that the high priest, he offered and sacrificed himself. And that is just way incredible. 
Then he goes a step further. He says, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. In other words, we don't have a redeemer. We don't have a rescuer. We don't have a high priest who can identify with our weaknesses. In other words, we have a Savior who feels our struggles, who knows our struggles. The best way to illustrate this is, you know, some, some people, are, we're all creative, you know, we're created and we're fearfully and wonderfully made and we're wired differently. And, and some people um, have a propensity to gain weight and to be heavier and some, with a lower, usually caused by a lower metabolism, uh, with maybe some bad habits thrown in. But, but some people are wired and fearfully and wonderfully made and it just seems like they can eat whatever they want to and it does not impact them. So if you if you're journey through life and you're one of those people who wrestle with weight and wrestle with being heavy and someone who does not have a propensity to gain an ounce, I mean, they can, they can eat all the food they want no matter how good or bad for them and they just remain perpetually thin. If that person walks up to you and says, you know, I hope you do good on your diet. You ought to do this. And if you did this, you would be thin and those kind of things. You kind of go, you have no clue what I deal with. No clue whatsoever what I deal with because you have never been through it. You're not wired so that you have a propensity to gain weight. So you can't, you, you can't tell me how not to gain weight. You can't, you can't tell me what it's like to struggle with this because you never experienced it. It'd be like a man trying to tell a woman about childbirth. If you survived the conversation, you would regret it. You would regret it. So, so, so here we have this incredible Savior named Jesus who is able to have compassion and sympathy when we are tempted. Because we're fixing to learn in just a moment, the Bible says he was tempted just like us. Now, now, when the Bible says, and I want to make this good point. When it says we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, don't mistake his compassion for, for blinking at sin. Okay? Don't you think that God's up in heaven when we as believers who are empowered by God to be overcomers over sin, don't you dare sit there and make the assumption that God's up in heaven going, oh, you're human, I understand. Go ahead and sin, I understand. I, oh, lust, yeah, go ahead and lust. I know, I, I put that sexual drive in you. I understand about that physical drive. Yeah, go ahead and sin. Don't you mistake that. When I, say, when I say that Jesus Christ has compassion, he has set the example for us as victors. Victors. But don't think it's an excuse to sin. Because it's not. So he says then that we, that we have a high priest who we don't have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. But one who has been tested in every way as we are yet without sin. So we have a Savior then. Now, this is so cool. We have a Savior who experienced the very same temptations that you experience. Time does not matter. You might say, well, yeah, but there's temptations now. There's sins now and temptations now that weren't there. I'll show you in just a moment. That's not, that's not important. That doesn't matter. You just need to understand that you have a Savior. Say, I have a Savior. And your Savior has experienced the very struggles you go through. And he was victorious every time. 
Now, here's what's cool. He was not victorious because he was God in the flesh. He's victorious because of the Holy Spirit that lived within him, the same Holy Spirit that lives in us. We'll talk about that more at the end of the message. He was victorious because of his faith and trust in his Father. So the same power, the same faith, the same trust that enabled him to be an overcomer enables us to be overcomers. Because if you don't see that, then you would say, of course he was victorious. He was God in the flesh. But remember, Jesus was 100% God and 100% human. So he was victorious over sin. Even in his humanity, he was victorious over sin. Now, I love verse number 16. Now, stay with me. Look at this. Therefore, the author says, let us approach the throne of grace. How? With boldness. Is that not incredible? That we have the right to approach the very throne of God with boldness. We, God waits for us in his throne room to come in and speak with him. And for what purpose and reason? Let us approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us at the proper time. Now, that's just powerful. So we have the right to boldly come into the presence of God to receive mercy. And what is mercy? Unmerited kindness. So when we are struggling in life, we're struggling with, with temptation, we have the right to come boldly to the throne of God to receive God's unmerited kindness and grace, God's unmerited favor. Again, grace is not a one-time event that happened on the day of my salvation. We live grace every single day. When you stop living grace, you're in deep weeds. Grace is a daily event in our lives. We are saved by grace. We live by grace. And Tracy, we're going to die in grace and spend eternity because of grace. Grace is huge. And we have the right to approach God as his, as his children, to approach God, to receive his unmerited kindness, to receive his unmerited favor. What? To help us. God wants to help us with our struggles. He didn't push us off from the dock like a person pushes a boat off with a sail with, with no driver in the seat and says, good luck. He wants to help us. Let me say it again. He wants to help us. I was listening to a story by one of our brothers who was talking about how he was stunned by 10, um, horn, uh, ten uh, yellow jackets. He's a tough dude. And he was driving a bush hog. And he ran over the nest, I assume. And when they started attacking, he started jumping. And he abandoned the tractor, still running. See you later, dude. I'm out of here. He said the tractor just kept right on going. Now, I know enough about tractors. Tractors need a driver. He circled around, took care of the problem, and came back and got back on the tractor because the tractor needs a driver. God didn't just push us off the dock and say, good luck. He desires to be the driver in our lives, to be there to help us as we journey through life. Come on now, amen? Isn't that something that great? That we may find help. And when, when, when are we going to find help? At the proper time. 
Some of y'all say, well, I, I just, what if, what, what if God's not there, and what if I can, what if, oh, quit what if. When you need it, God will be there. You know, when it comes time to die, God will give you dying grace. And when it comes time for assistance in a, in, in a temptatious situation, He'll be there for you if you'll cry out, God, I need your help. We cannot be independent. We have got to be dependent. We can't do this God thing without God. We think we can. It's been said too many times that too many churches could meet week after week after week without the ab- with total absence of the Holy Spirit, and most would not know it. We've got the funds, we've got the money, we've got the talent, we've got the abilities. And we can do something, but we can't do God without God. Can't do God without God. So we have this incredible high priest who can totally... Now, now you remember this because you said, No, Pastor. No, Pastor. You just don't know what I'm going through. No, I don't. But there is a Savior who does. There's a rescuer who does. There's a redeemer who does. And his name is Jesus. And he can identify with all of this because he's been through it and yet without sin. So let's come boldly to the throne of grace where we may find unmerited kindness and unmerited favor to help us, to help us, to help us. Because you don't want these consequences. If we had time and there was a little bit of boldness in the crowd, I could call some people up and tell you about sin and consequences. And they'll tell you, you don't want to go there. What's the new smoking thing? They show people with, with tracks. And we, they show people with, with jaw cancer. They chewed tobacco and gotten cancer. And they all say, you don't want to go there. You don't want to go to those consequences. God, I need you. I declare my dependence on you. Help. Help. And he'll be there at the proper time. So, with that thought in mind, with that groundwork, what does it mean when the Bible says in verse number 15, who has been tested, who has been tempted in every way as we are yet without sin? What does it mean in every way? Well, and the Bible says in 1 John chapter 2, verse 16 and 17, he kind of gives us an every way scenario. So we're going to look this morning, we're going to take just a few moments and look at what, what does it mean in every way? What kind of temptations? What kind of sin? What kind of temptation to, to sin? Well, here's what 1 John chapter 2, verse 16 and 17 says. It says this, For everything that belongs to the world, and he's going to give three broad categories. And that's what I meant earlier. Even though technology is different, things are different, Jesus can say with, with clarity, the Word of God can say with clarity, that he's experienced the temptation. Because it kind of falls into three broad categories. Now, the Bible says, he's, again, he starts out with that everything belongs to the world. Now, let me just pause here. Two things, and if you're taking notes, you can write this down. One is, now, now the world, he's not talking about the world. He's not talking about the earth. He's not talking He's not talking about the, the world. He's talking about the principles. The, he's talking about the way the world does business. The core values of the world. The way the, way the world sees. The world view of the world. Okay? So he says, everything that belongs to the world. So, so mark it down. Write it down. So, so everything of the world, that, that, that world value that's anti-God is sin. 
Okay? So that's kind of a broad statement that when it comes to the world, not talking about, again, not just the world, but the worldview that, that it has, it's sinful. It's a natural tendency of the world to be against God. But, and I, I want to stop there, it's also not sinful things done with the wrong motive. Not simple things done with the wrong motive, a wrong way. Let me just give you a quick example because it will make more sense to you. In the very first temptation with Jesus, Satan says do what? Turn the stone into bread. He was hungry. Was it wrong? Was it wrong for him to eat? Well, no. Was it wrong for him to say, God, I don't trust you, so I'm going to take matters in my own hand and turn the stone into bread? Yes. So what we've got to be aware of are not only simple things, and boy, I'm sure dozens of things pop into your brain. Yeah, that's a sin, that's a sin, that's a sin. We're going to look at a few things in just a moment. That's a sin, that's a sin, that's a sin. Yeah, you got that. But you've got to be careful, too, when a legitimate need is being met in an illegitimate way. When a legitimate need, and you try to meet it in your own way. Be careful of that. That's huge. Now, now the Bible gives, talks a lot about sin. And I picked two scriptures today, again, because of time. You could research more. But there are two scriptures that give us a pretty good listing of the things that belong to the world. And the first one is found in Galatians chapter 5, verse 19 through 21. Let me just read it to you. Here's, here's a broad list of things that are against God. Things that you might be tempted to do. Now, the works of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, very prevalent in our society today. Moral impurity, and that goes just a little bit broader than the first one. Promiscuity, a looseness about morals and about life. Idolatry, now this is very interesting because I, I did check this out to make sure I was right on this. This is the word pharmaceutica in the Greek, and it comes from drug use. It's, it's where the sorcerers would use drugs and incantations in their, in their false worship. But it's where we get our word pharmacy from, the illicit use of drugs, idolatry. It goes on and says this. It says, um, I'm, I'm sorry, that was sorcery. Idolatry is the worship of false gods. Sorcery, pharmaceutica, the false or bad use of drugs. Um, hatreds. Strife, jealousy, outburst of anger, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and anything similar. Now, some of that list, I know, I know, I know. Some of that list you'd go, well, I would never, never, never. But there's a huge chunk of that list that each one of us, because of the I factor, me factor, we're tempted to do. Anger, jealousy, envy, those are things we'll be very much tempted to do. Sins that probably are still in our world. Some of them probably not, but some of them are. In Romans chapter 1, Paul gives us a longer list, talking about people, it says they are filled with all unrighteousness, evil, greed, wickedness. They are full of envy, murder, quarrels, deceit, malice. They are Gossips, slanderers, this is a good one, God-haters, arrogant, proud, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, 
untrustworthy, unloving, and unmerciful. And then he goes into a whole new category. He says this, And although they know full well God's just sentence, that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but even applaud others who practice them. Now again, I understand a chunk of that is about lost people, but you know some of those sins are right in your life. You go, oh yeah, yeah, gossip and those kind of things. Yeah, I wrestle with that. I do. It's like, it's like I can't keep, you know, my mouth, mouth opens before my brain gets in gear. You know, yeah. You know those things. So, so when the Bible says all these things, that's kind of a broad list. But the way John says is this, that everything belongs to the world, the, the uh, lust of the flesh, the things I crave. The things I crave. It's an internal thing. The things that are going on inside of me that's about me. It's about me. I, I, I. Can I have a witness? Think how much of church life, home life, students with your parents, parents with your students. How much of that is internal things that go on in our lives. And it's because of me. It's what I want. The lust of the flesh. And then he says... The lust of the eyes. This is external. So we have internal, we have external. Things that we see that we want. I, I want your car. I want your house. I want your wife. I want your job. I want your career. I want to go live with them, a student would say. Parents say, I want you to go live with them. <laughs> no, 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 that wouldn't happen. But, but external, the lust of the eyes. Things we see. Okay, so we have internal, lust of the flesh, external, lust of the eyes, and the pride in one's lifestyle, or the pride of life. The, the, the prominence, the, the, uh, the, the uh, yeah, the prominence, that's a good word. That's about, again, about promoting self in this world. You know, you drive a certain car so people can see you. It's not that you, don't, it's not that you like that name brand. It says, I'm important. I make money, I have position, I have authority, I have power. The pride in one lifestyle. So John makes these broad statements. There's, there's the internal, there's the external, and just the way we live in life. Those things are all of the world. And he says this, it's not the Father, but from the world. And the world with that kind of lust is passing away, but the one who does God's will remains forever. So, so Jesus was tempted in those broad categories. And boy, if we had time to put it all together, oh, I hope you'll come back Wednesday night. If we can put it all together, we see in the three temptations the lust of the, of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. We don't see the sin because he didn't sin. But we see Satan dangling it in front of the Savior. Come back Wednesday night and see how that ties together. So when the Bible says in everything, that's a general list. Let me read one more time just so you'll get it. For everything that belongs to the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride in one's lifestyle is not from the Father, but is of the world. These are the things that Satan dangles in front of you and says you want it, you want it. And again, some of those things in their proper context might not even be a sin. But it leads us down a path of improper context. For instance, there's nothing wrong with having a position of authority or power in the world. President of this or president of that. But when that position causes you to think more than yourself than you should. 
when that position causes you to look down on others, you've got a problem. Amen? You've got a problem. So Satan is dangling all this stuff. And every, now listen to me, listen to me. Every one of the things, whether it's the list from Galatians, whether it's the list from Romans, whether it's 1 John chapter 2, all of them have consequences. All of them have consequences, and some are very, very, very painful. And that leads us to our last little section of Scripture. We've heard that we had this high priest who is sympathetic because he was victorious. We saw what he was victorious over, and we even get a glimpse of the way that he was victorious. And we find this in Luke chapter 4, verse 1, and today we're going to look at the very first part of that, and then Wednesday night we'll look at the rest. Now look at Luke chapter 4. This is so good. Then Jesus, then Jesus being filled with the Spirit. Let me just read the verse. Then Jesus being filled with the Spirit returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness being tempted for 40 days by the devil. This is huge. Notice first, Jesus being filled with the Spirit. How do you overcome? How did Jesus overcome temptation? And how can we overcome temptation? And this is so big and yet so obvious and simplistic. We have to be filled with the Spirit. Now, Scriptures teach that every one of them, if, if, if a person is regenerated... He is born of the Spirit. Paul said that if you have not the Spirit of God, you are none of His. So we believe biblically that every person is baptized, if that's the word you want to use, but receives that Holy Spirit when they were born again into the kingdom of God. There is one baptism, but many fillings. The word filling simply means to be under the control of. You could simply say this. Then Jesus, being under the control of the Holy Spirit. You could use that word. You could use that word and it'd be right. So the first thing we need to understand is, we can't do this. God has to do it, and he's given us himself in the person of the Holy Spirit to be victorious over death, sin, temptation, and the grave. He has given us the ability to be overcomers by his precious Holy Spirit. Now, the context that we're going to see is Ephesians chapter 5 and verse number 18. Here's what Paul says. And don't get drunk with wine, which leads to reckless actions, but be filled by the Spirit. Let me read to you again. Ephesians 5, 18. And don't get drunk with wine, which leads to reckless actions, but be filled by the Spirit. Now, you've probably heard this taught before. There's nothing new under the sun, but it sure is a good refreshment for us to get it. The background is this. In Ephesus, which was a very, very pagan city, and they, they had many styles of worship, of the many gods that they worshipped, and one of the gods and one of the styles of worship believed that you had to get under the influence of alcohol to truly experience God and then also to worship God. Not God, our God, their pagan God. So when they went to the pagan temple, they would get drunk out of their brains, okay? And then they would worship this pagan God. Paul says, don't be like that. Don't get drunk with wine. 
Do not get drunk with my wine, but be filled with the Spirit. But in the same way that the alcohol will control and influence those pagan worshipers, let God's Holy Spirit fill and influence and control you. You get that? Now, I've never been under the influence of alcohol. I have been under the influence of, when I used to have diabetic glass and things like that, Dr. Yule would give me some drugs and, and make pain go away kind of thing. I've experienced that. And so like a, like a, you know, it's like I was in an outer body experience almost. Okay? I've experienced that. But at those points in my life, I was not in control of the drug was. And Paul says, wise up. Get out of the driver's seat and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Let God's Holy Spirit control your life. Now, I, I remember Warren Wiersbe taught a long time ago, and I believe it's probably accurate, is that you, it would be a good thing, I think, to sincerely pray every day as part of your quiet time, God, fill me with your spirit. I, I pretty regularly pray that. And by that, I'm saying, God, you be in control today. You make decisions. You direct my path. You do what I cannot do. Take over my life. Take direction of my life. Now, Jesus did that. Because the Bible says that he was filled with the Spirit. He was under control of the Holy Spirit. And I'm finding out as I journey as a Christian that whatever he does is probably wise for me to do. Now, if you're happy where you are, I wouldn't advise this. But if you're happy where you are and, hey, you say, Dwayne, I just deal with the consequences as they come. On my seventh marriage, but, hey, everybody has faults. If you can, you know, that's what, you know, this is not, I'm going to... I'm just telling you, as a believer in you, of course, I'm wondering, well, never mind, we won't go there. I'm just telling you, God's got something better for us. And it really begins by saying, God, I need you, take control of me. And you're going to be amazed at how many times you're going to get confronted at a fork in the road, and you can go this way and sin, or this way and not sin, and you're going to feel a renewed power as you do this to take the right path. And walk away from that. What you, you're going to find as you journey on this journey, you're going to find out what you used to not say no to, you can. And it's not you, it's surrendering to Him. So, so Jesus was filled with the Spirit. He returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Now, this is just crazy. And again, already the clock is ticking by. And I'm very much aware of that. But this is just crazy that... What was he referencing when Jesus was returned from the Jordan? His baptism. He, he, was just, he was just baptized. He said, John, we've got to do this because he brings glory to the Father. I'm aware of who I am, and you know who you are, but you need to baptize me. And after he was baptized, the spirit in the form of a dove came down. He heard the voice saying, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Now, Holy Spirit, take Jesus and lead him into the wilderness. I know that doesn't make sense. But that's what happened. Actually, you want to know why it happened? For us. I believe it. This whole temptation thing. And so Hebrews 4.15 can be validated. At least one reason why. Because he was going to be tempted in all these areas. And this is validated. So here he comes out of position of obedience. And led by the spirit into the wilderness. Now listen to me. Look, are you listening? Sometimes, and you're not going to like it, but sometimes you may find yourself 
in the wilderness by the will of God. Some of you are in situations right now, and it may involve health, it may involve position, you're being mistreated at work, and you're going, I don't like this. I found myself in a position on Thursday morning, and someone correctly said to me, God may have given you that for a spiritual reason to temper you. You may not like the wilderness, but I'm going to tell you this as your pastor and as a friend and a fellow journeyman on this journey with you, that we may not like the wilderness, But that's where God puts us. That's where we need to be. And I guess the king of the whiners, W-H-I-N-E-R-S, the king of the whiners says, Dwayne, get over it. Quit whining and trust your father. If he says the wilderness is where you need to be, be content. Trust me. Because there is a purpose, Romans 8, 20. There is a purpose why you are where you are. So he led him into the wilderness. And to be tempted for 40 days. Wow. 40, led by the Spirit into the wilderness. How do you do that? Filled by the Holy Spirit. And then we see, quickly, we see the second secret. Now, we don't get to see it today. You've got to come back Wednesday. But do you remember what Jesus said after every temptation? Jesus said it. It is written. Not only was Jesus filled with the Holy Spirit, he was filled with the Word of God. In his case, he was the Word of God. But he was filled with the Word of God. Listen to Ephesians, I'm sorry, Colossians chapter 3, verse 16. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing hymns, and psalms and spiritual songs with thanksgiving in your hearts to God. Let the word of Christ, let the word of Christ, let the word of Christ dwell richly in you. Now, just saying, just saying, there's a possibility we struggle so much with temptation because we've not said, God, I need you, fill me with your spirit, and God, I need you, fill me with your word. If Jesus quoted every time, God's word says, God's word says, it sounds to me like the word of God may be a very formal weapon against a wicked enemy. And again, this is so important because why? Consequences. Consequences. God wants us free from these consequences. So he equips us by filling us with his Holy Spirit, by filling us with his word. And the filling of the word, where do you reckon that happens at? I mean, we, you get 45 minutes here. Um, you may get an hour in Sunday school class. But where does it really happen? In your quiet time. Guys, listen. I know this is simplistic. You need to have a quiet time. You need to have a time every day when the word of God gets in you and you get in the word of God. That is Victory. It's not, a, it's not just a discipline you're supposed to do. It's God's way of saying, you can be an overcomer through me. Get all that. Did you say, when you're just a local hometown preacher. I know that. Get on some big boy that you respect. I know what he says about it. You know what he'll tell you? Follow the example of Jesus. Be filled with the Spirit. Get the word of God in you so you can get in the word of God. And you get in the word of God and it gets in you. 
Because here's the deal. Temptation is pretty frequently. In fact, at the end of this, again, I'll give you just a touch of Wednesday night in verse 13 where it says, Now when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until a more opportune moment, another opportune moment. I can start talking like Satan goes, I'll be back. And you know what? He'll be back. You get one victory, he'll be back. So wait, what do I do, what do I do, what do I do, what do I do? Be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Word. Be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Word. And you and I are being incredibly amazed at what power that brings into our lives. The old hymn, Fount of Blessing, says this. Oh, to grace, how great a debtor. Daily I'm constrained to be. Let your goodness like a fetter bind my wandering heart to thee. Prone to wonder. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, Lord. Take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. Prone to wonder. Romans chapter 7. What a would, I don't, what I do, I don't. And the Apostle Paul. Filled with the Spirit. Filled with the Word. Imagine a life with that kind of power. And when Satan comes knocking, you can say, it is written. And by God's grace, and by God's power, through His Holy Spirit, act on that. This, brothers and sisters, is a spiritual game changer. Would you bow your heads, please? I told you my bottom line up front. If you are a Christ follower today, that this would be so applicable. It makes so much sense that you'd be willing to try it. I hope you will. That you'd be willing to say, you know what? It It just makes sense. I can't, but God can. Filled with His Spirit. Filled with His Word. Filled with the Spirit. Filled with His Word. Today, if you're here, and I still reference the cross today, but it all begins there. I did at the very beginning. What if we didn't have a high priest? Jesus came to redeem that which was lost. Jesus came that we could come into relationship with God. And it all begins right there. And if you're here today and you've never trusted Christ, that's the first part of the invitation, the time of decision. But I think the second part, and boy, rarely do I have it this succinct and clear. It's kind of like a, usually like a shotgun. Would you be willing today as a Christ follower, follower to say, God, I'm dependent on you. I ask your Holy Spirit today, starting now, to control my life. And are you willing to surrender that over and over again? Are you willing to get into the Word of God so the Word of God can get into you? And the personal benefit, all those complications caused by sin right now that your wife doesn't know about, your workers don't know about, your family don't know about, but you know about, all those complications begin fading away. All those consequences begin fading away. Prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. 
prone to leave the God I love. Take my heart, O Lord. Take it and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. In the powerful and precious name of Jesus Christ, Father, we come today asking you first to redeem those who are lost. Asking you to reach down from heaven and draw men and women and children to yourself for salvation. Father, asking you through the Holy Spirit, because that is the only way it can happen, asking you through the Holy Spirit to enable us and to empower us to act on what we've heard today. Father, many have lived in bondage long enough, lives complicated by repeated sin, and you want them free from that. We pray, Father, for the Holy Spirit right now to take charge of lives. We refuse and will not be drunk with wine, but we cry out, to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Help us this day to start that discipline of getting into the Word of God that it may get into us. And may we experience that wondrous victory that comes when you help us. When you help us. Have your way. And we trust this with you, Jesus, and ask it in your name. Amen. Would you stand?